0: This is part two of my conversation with Dr. Leighton Flowers of Soteriology 101. In this part of the conversation, we kind of switched directions a little bit, talked a little bit more about faith issues of does regeneration precede faith? Is faith a work? And touched on chapters like Ephesians one. If you wanna follow Leighton Flowers, I'll make sure to put links to his YouTube channel, podcast and all that in the show notes of this episode. Just want to say thank you to all of our supporters who continue to support Great Light Studios on a monthly basis. If you are blessed by the resources produced through Great Light Studios and want to help support me in continuing to do all this, then you can find information about how to in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, would you consider leaving a five-star review on this podcast if you haven't already? That's a huge help to me, and positive reviews go a long way in just helping to get this podcast pushed out to more people. So with all that said, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode.
1: If you come and eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you will live. Come to me so as to live. So yes, you're spiritually dead, but how do you become alive according to the Bible? By believing on Jesus. And so there is a solution for those who are spiritually dead. And what is that solution? Believing on Jesus. And what the Calvinist comes along and says, no, no, you have to be made alive in order to believe in Jesus. And the Bible just never says this. You know, Calvinists are always real quick to say it's not it's not like people are wanting to come to Jesus and can't it's that they don't it's that they don't even want to um and so they're unwilling to come to Jesus and of course I, I always push back you know as I did earlier is it well why do they not want to come to Jesus is has anything to do with them or is this something that they're just born like that and they can't help it just like the lion that doesn't want to ever eat grass he only wants to eat meat because of the way he was born is that is that is that is that their motivation behind it, or is that a, is that a conscious rational choice of them suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, and when they didn't have to do that, they could have accepted the truth so as to be saved? Um, and so that that that's really the the point up, up for debate. But oftentimes I always push Calvinists and say, well, the very reason that you say it's not that they want to, well, let's suppose that somebody does want to, and that you know God. Chains them to a tree, so to speak. Keeps them physically from being able to come. Are you saying that that would be unjust of God to do? In other words, if if there were people who were actually banging on the door of heaven saying, I want in, please, please, I do believe in Jesus. I really want to come. And he's going, no, 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 I'm, I'm refusing you. You can't be saved. If, if that was happening, would that be unjust for God to do? And I ask Calvinist that because. I want them to see there is a line there. There is a standard there that they would call God unjust. So you would say God's unjust if there were people who are wanting to believe in Jesus, wanting to follow, wanting to be saved, but can't. You would think that's unjust. I've got to get them to admit that. Yeah, that wouldn't be just. Okay. Um, So what's the meaningful difference between that and what you're claiming? Because both of them are completely outside of the control of the agent. Right. In other words, whether you tie them to a tree and therefore they can't come even though they may want to, or whether you control their desires to such a degree that they can't want to, either way, it's equally cannot. It's, it's equally, yeah. they have no control over equally. And so what makes one of them just and one of them unjust? What what standard are you holding that up to? And, and who is to say that somebody new cult can't come along and say, no, 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 God's actually keeping people out that would that want to come. And, mm-hmm. and, and them say, and when you question. Them,
0: who are you, a man, to question yeah, they God? They can
1: just say, who are you, old man, to question yeah. God? Because after all, I'm setting the standard for what is right and wrong. Right. Forget all intuition. Forget what these scripture passages say over there about these things. Yeah. Because we're going to be the arbiter and the standard of what is black or white, white right or mm-hmm. wrong. And we're going, no, no, the Bible has to be our standard for what love looks like, for what good is. And we have to judge based upon those standards of what the Bible explains and intuitive, intuitive. You Mm -hmm. mentioned emotions several times, you know, in this concept, I always like to point out to Gavis, God's sovereign over our emotions too, okay? So um, God created us with emotions. And so, yeah, while there are maybe some people who reject Calvinism solely on the basis of uh, emotion, um, that, that does happen with some people. I my, put my mom in that category, for example. She never became a Calvinist. And and a lot of times the reasons that she gave me for not being a Calvinist were emotional. Um, yep. But God's sovereign over my mom's emotions, isn't he? And, and aren't they real? Aren't emotions real? Um, didn't God create us with a mind and emotions? Yeah. A heart and a, a mind? Um, in other words, when people are making emotional decisions, or people are making a, a cognitive decision, or they're using both their emotions and their mental capacities to make decisions, as probably a better balance would be, then th- they're coming to a decision based upon the way God created us to make decisions. God's the one, we're not saying like, hey, we're gonna go out into a tool shed and build ourselves a free will with you know proper emotions and mental capacity. We're not doing that to ourselves. God God created us in his image. He created us as moral Ability, with ability to make decisions right. and to deliberate. I mean, he he gave us this capacity. It's 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 his, that grace that gives us that capacity. And then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you suppress the truth, guess what? You're to blame for suppressing that truth. You could have done otherwise. But if you accept the truth, God is gracious to save those who trust in him. And he doesn't have to, he's not obligated to do that. He chooses to do that because he's a gracious God.
0: Yep, so that, that's just, I, I feel like that's a legitimate point. I know how easy it would be to take that and just immediately dismiss it as an emotional argument, which I, I feel like is is in the category of a gaslighting sort of response because yeah. God made us in his image with the ability to, to, you know, have intuitive understanding of right and wrong. Even the, you know, the supposed pagans, ha- have an intuitive understanding of certain things, according to Paul, even in, in the beginning chapters of Romans, of, of things that are right and wrong, things that that your conscience is comfortable with and says this is fine, you're 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 good, and things that your conscience, uh, you know, sends out signals and says there's something wrong here, and that is well, yeah, something. He's
1: even he even so, so he's even so specific that says it will defend you or it will or accuse, accuse you. you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that God yeah. created us with a an internal mechanism that either defends our actions or accuses us for what we've done yeah. as a, a mistake. I mean, and, and how how does that fit with total moral inability? It it, mm-hmm. it it doesn't fit with total moral inability not well anyway, not as far as I can tell. Yeah. It seems to fly in the face of that.
0: So I I think there's just there's somewhat even of a minimization of of you know and, and the total depravity goes to this this I think an unbiblical place where where mankind is is really. I'm not arguing that mankind isn't sinful or have have a nature a tendency to sin, but I think there there's just a mankind is made to basically be garbage, and I, th- I think it, it misses the fact that hey, God actually when He created us, He said we are good, and and, and the fall of Adam, uh, you know, d- I don't think turned us into just utter and complete you know morally incapable. Uh, sinful, uh, wretches, you know, and, and again, yes, we sin and we need salvation. We need God's forgiveness. But I, I just think that you can take that so far where you're actually, once again, you're minimizing God's glory by saying something, not even just about him, but now you're beginning to say something about his image bearing creation that is just not true, and it says something. Once again, then that goes right back to God, where you're now saying something about about God. Um, right. So I just, yeah, I, all this is just, well,
1: and it, it almost—I don't know if you've noticed this, Jordan, but it almost seems like there there almost becomes a you know almost a pious competition for how bad you can yes. make men out to be. Like yeah. I, my 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 systematic is more godly and more biblical and more robust. If I can make men to be as horribly worm-like wretches that I could possibly make them, and you people over there, you're trying to defend the righteousness and the goodness of man, while as we're we're being biblical over here, and we're just bringing we're just bringing all this man down. And you're you know, almost like they forget man is God's creation, okay? Um, and and I know that you believe it's a result of the fall that this has happened. But what does the Bible actually say are the results of the fall? Go to Genesis. He says the labor pains and the tolling of the soil. He forgot to mention, oh, yeah, by the way, you're going to be born <laughs> God-haters from birth and can't do anything but hate me unless I Completely calloused,
0: you. hardened, blind.
1: Right. It, yeah, it, 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 he forgot to mention there. the worst of all the curses. And I, I right. pointed that out to a Calvinist recently. And he said, oh, no, 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 that, that's the spiritual deadness. He, you're cast out of the garden. And I said, oh, okay, let's have that discussion. So cast out of the garden means you're separated from fellowship with God, which is exactly what we think spiritual deadness means. Just like the prodigal right. son was said to be dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Didn't mean he wasn't able to come to his senses and return home in humiliation from his pigsty. He obviously did that in his deadness. What, what is the idiomatic use for spiritual deadness in the Bible? Well, the Bible says to the church in Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and renew what remains. What's he talking about? Draw near to me because you've separated yourself by your rebellion. You're in the far country. You're, you're, you're walking against my ways. You become carnal. You need to come back and be reconciled. So just as the, the body is separated from the soul in death, so too, when you spiritually die, you're separating yourself from your maker doesn't mean you have the moral incapacity to respond to the incarnation of God when he comes to where we are outside the garden and presents the truth to us and calls us to reconciliation, calls us from death to life by saying, if you believe these things, you will live. If you come and eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you will live. Come to me so as to live. So yes, you're spiritually dead, but how do you become alive according to the Bible? By believing on Jesus. And so there is a solution for those who are spiritually dead. And what is that solution? believing on jesus and what the calvinist comes along and says no no you have to be made alive in order to believe in jesus and the bible just never says this no jesus that's a philosophical said
0: philosophical deduction
1: yeah lately. it's it, the jesus says you refuse to come to me so that you may have life he didn't say i've refused to give you life so that you would certainly come to me he puts right. the cart in the right order behind the horse under unlike the calvinist who gets the cart before the horse he says, you have to come to me in order to receive life, not I will unilaterally make you alive so that you will certainly come to me. He puts the responsibility onto them to put their faith in him. John 20, 31. These things were written so that you may believe and that by believing you may have life. So how does one get new life? According to John 20, 31, by believing. And so when the Calvinist says, no, 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 regeneration precedes faith, what they're, what they're saying, you have to be made alive in order to believe. And we're going okay. Chapter verse, yeah. That, that that's in yeah. your that's in the Institutes of the Christian Religion, yeah. maybe. Um, and that's even actually hard to find in Institutes because uh, actually he, <laughs> Calvin doesn't mention it as he didn't call it regeneration. That's, that actually is introduced in Dort. Uh, I've learned recently that Calvin never actually used pre-faith regeneration concepts. He actually uh, he did believe in an effectual work or effectual calling. But he didn't call uh-huh. it regeneration. That that actually was first started in after Dort, um, which, which just proves that a lot of this is is man made new theological things being added, developing over years. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, I know I know you're limited in time, and I had intended to have you share your story, which I don't think we're going to get to. But maybe maybe we can do another video one of these days and, and do that. But you know, we're kind of we're on the topic right now that really is is one of the main. Probably the main thing I wanted to talk about, so so maybe we could dive in just a little bit deeper before you have to go here, uh, on on that. So I want to I want to respond to some of what you just said, dealing with you know the regeneration preceding faith, uh, with with what it, what it means to be dead in sin and what you know what what is our true inability and incapacity. What does that look like? So um, a quote. I'm I'm just I want to read a quote from John Piper where he's talking about this uh, and, and just kind of get get your reaction to it, I guess. So so John Piper, I'll, I'll try to remember what video this is from. This is from an Ask Pastor John video that I'll, I'll try to remember to link in the video so you can, anybody who wants to make sure that this isn't taking wildly out of context can go check it out. So um, he says, and quote, if we think that we can provide the decisive power in the moment of our conversion, To pass out of spiritual death that cannot please God into spiritual life that sees and treasures Christ and faith, then we simply do not yet have a right view of the power and depth and horror of our own sinful depravity." So if we think that we can provide the decisive power, in other words, if we think we can believe, we can choose to believe in the moment of conversion, then Piper is saying we just simply don't understand how terrible we really are. So what would you say to that?
1: Yeah, this, this is kind of what we were talking about earlier, about that, that, that almost pious competition to make men as bad as they possibly can be. And the mm-hmm. truth of the matter is, whether Piper realizes it or not, he's actually making men better than what they actually are because he's giving them a really good excuse for not believing. Um, And and what we're trying to do is exactly what the early church fathers did, by the way, when they were debating with Gnostics. Uh, There's a quote from Tertullian, uh, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, all of them arguing against this concept and idea because what what are they really defending? They're defending the blameworthiness of the sinner because what they're ultimately saying is that the fact that you do have the God-given ability to believe this truth and you choose not to, that makes you so much more culpable than what the Calvinist system is ultimately entailing right. because you're not suppressing the truth, quote unquote, by nature, by decree. Uh, you're not, you're not suppressing truth because that's all that you had the option to do. You're suppressing truth in the face of a God who loves and provides and gives you evidence. You're, you're suppressing truth. Who held out in his the, hand
0: all day long?
1: Exactly. And that makes yeah. you so much more culpable than if what Calvinism says is true. And that's what we're trying to say. We're, we're, we're trying to defend the, the badness of humanity who reject God by telling people, They're not rejecting a God who hates them, who doesn't really provide atonement for them, who doesn't really want them, who doesn't really provide the sufficient evidence and grace and the things that they need. No, no, no. you're you're denying a God who sent his son to die for your sins and who makes himself abundantly evident through general revelation and through special revelation. And when you walk away from him, you're walking away from a provision of a loving heavenly father. You're not walking away from a God who reprobated you before you were ever born and created you for right. damnation. You're much worse than you think you are. Yeah. And this is so, this is why we're doing this. This is why this is so important. The, yeah. For that reason right there.
0: It, it's like in an attempt to do two things, which I think are coming from a noble, well-intended place of one, passionately wanting to emphasize God's sovereignty and to make God, God you know, they want to put that on a pedestal, I think as well-intended, And they also want to as you're saying there that does seem like there's this this misplaced pious contest almost to see who can who's most most religious by showing how bad they think men are uh which which is just i think there's so many presuppositions that are are, you know fueling that but so it's an emphasis uh, a well-intended motivation to try to emphasize god's sovereignty and to emphasize how terrible men are and i think in in doing so, they inadvertently make God unjust and immoral, and, and detract from His love and that aspect of Him. And then I think they also make man less bad because they make they turn them into victims. Uh, right. And so I think these they well-intended motivations—they would
1: never, they would never say that men are victims. They would never use that in no. an actor. These these are our not. These are our arguments against their implications of their system. Right. And I, I don't remember being a Calvinist. I used that same argument that Piper, matter of fact, I probably quoted that thing from Piper at one point or another, defending my view, because I, I remember getting into those kinds of pious competitions about how sinful we are. And, and I, I remember backing, I remember this one, it was a couple, there were a young couple that were dating and they were disagreeing with my Calvinism. And I was a co- young college minister and I was talking to them. And I and I remember them bringing those kinds of some of those kinds of objections, and I remember turning it back on them. I was a good debater then too, and I was pretty good at being a Calvinist. And I, and I said, oh, so you must just think you're you're so much better because you believed in the gospel and you believe in Jesus. So you just think that there's some island of righteousness within you that made you better wow. that you accepted the gospel. And your friends and I and there happened to have a friend that was an atheist. And I said, your friend Joel, um, you know, he's just. You know, he's just maybe not as smart as you are, maybe not as wise as you are. See, I'm trying to give God all the glory by saying God chose you and he brought you to faith and he brought you to salvation. So I'm giving God all the credit for your salvation where you're trying to take some of that credit for yourself. And I remember this guy just kind of, you know, on his heels, just not knowing how to respond to that, because that's probably one of the most popular arguments that Calvinists use. It's one of the most popular arguments that I use to back people into a corner. Uh, to to make them think, oh, you're you're trying to you're trying to claim some of the glory for yourself, for your own salvation, because you you think you're the decisive cause of your salvation, and of right. course now you know looking back on that, I see the error of that 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 argumentation, and I see the fallacies inherent within that com uh that that in matter of fact, it's in, in the uh um. Appendix, the first appendix of this book, the Potter's Promise, the most popular argument of a Calvinist, and it's also on the website. I have on my card. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll
0: link to that book. That's that's Le- one of one of Layton's books that I will link to. That that if you're if you're struggling, wanting some answers, wanting to go and dig further into these things, I think it's a great resource for that.
1: Um, if anyone wants to go deeper in that question, but I mean, basically, it's a conflation of the Calvinist conflating. Uh, man's choice to repent and trust in Jesus with God's choice to save those who do so. Um, those are two separate distinct choices. And when you combine those two into one choice and call it all salvation, then you get the false dichotomy or the false dilemma that Calvinists paint of you know trying to say, well, those, those Arminians, those non-Calvinists out there, they're trying to take a sliver of that pie and give God, you know, give God, you know, ninety-nine percent credit, but they're trying to take that one percent credit for that decisive cause of salvation. And we're saying, no, no, God's one hundred percent decisive cause of salvation, um, and and you are one hundred percent responsible for your sin or your choice to repent of it in light of the gospel. I mean, that that is your you know, two separate choices. Um, and so, the the choice of the prodigal to to humble himself and come home from his pigsty is one hundred percent his responsibility, one hundred percent his choice but it's 100% the choice of the Father to restore him when he gets there. He's not obligated to do that. In other words, salvation is 100% the choice of the Father, always. And so when the Calvinist conflates those two choices and makes them one big choice and and, and tries to call it all salvation and then give God some measure of percentage and man some measure of percentage, just say, no, you're conflating two separate choices. There's two pies, and you are 100% responsible for your choices. Um, and in in the well-intended effort of Calvinists to give God all the credit for salvation, what they've inadvertently done is give God all the blame for our sin and our yes. lack of faith. And that's the problem with the Calvinistic system.
0: So we're talking about this question that is a very common response to the things that have been said so far in the video, which would be, why, why did you believe and your next door neighbor didn't? What What are you, you know, basically are you, what is in you that is better than them? What you know? So basically, you you regenerated yourself. You brought yourself from from spiritual death to life. And so, um, the the error that I see that I, I ask, I guess, what I want to ask is if you kind of see this too, is a what I see is a fundamental within that question is a fundamental misunderstanding. Of the nature of what faith is in the first place, it, because it gives this idea when when John Piper says, even uses that terminology of the decisive power, he's referring to faith, and so he's he's it's as if he understands faith itself to be some sort of power, some sort of yeah. righteous activity, some something that is in itself meritorious, if you want to put it that way, or, or faith itself is able to lift us up out of the depths of sin. And I, I just think clearly that is such a, just a fundamental misunderstanding of how Paul looks at faith, where he constantly, clearly will say salvation is able to be by grace because it's by faith. And it's because it's by faith that God can save us on the basis of grace. So he He constantly puts faith and works as being in very nature opposites. It's as if he sees that if you're doing one, if you're simply coming with faith, then by definition, you are not working. That's how Paul looks at it. And so this this is truly, to me, um and I get a little bit worked up about it, <laughs> but this is truly to me, one of the most baffling things about Calvinism because, and I don't mean this in an insulting way, but I I look at this concept of the nature of faith being contrasted with works. And to me, this is such an seemingly elementary principle communicated in the New Testament. And so I, I can only conclude that the reason Calvinists do what they do with it, the conclusions they reach is because they are entering into these texts with so many philosophical uh, uh, presuppositions and, and theological presuppositions where the, where they they have to just not they see like you talk about the duck and the rabbit, they they just they're they're wired to only be able to see something that's just not it's not there. Um, so right. maybe could you comment on that a little bit? Like when John says oh, yeah. the decisive power, what what about yeah. that represents a misunderstanding of faith?
1: You know, theological words get theological baggage. And in, in all of us, and I have them too, I have, I have theological baggage that I've added to certain words, like the word elect or the word predestination, especially in this discussion, have a lot of theological baggage. There's a lot of presuppositions right. that are packed into those words. Uh, most notably, you got like James White, who, you know, says he reads Clement, uh, you know, in his letter to Corinth, and he uses the word elect several times. And so he must be a Calvinist. You know, like, okay, no, you're you're assuming that Clement meant the word elect the way Calvinists mean it, and that's question begging. And so there's, uh, you know, you're packing your theological meaning into a word, and the same can be done with faith, um, pistis. You know, in the original language, is, is, it doesn't need to be thought of as some kind of a mystical or supernatural power, or it's right. it's it more simply, it's kind of like the English word trust or maybe allegiance or loyalty. And people, even in pagan world, have this all the time. I mean, they put their allegiance in a king. Uh, They put their loyalty to a, you know, a a false god. Uh, They trust in the claims so much so that they would be willing to fly a plane into a building in order to get 72 virgins. That's a lot of faith being put, a lot of trust being put into the claims of Allah and the Quran. Um, And so this is not some supernatural you know, ability, or power that's granted to some people and withheld from everybody else. We, I'm, I'm, in a, some sense, in a, a metaphysical sense of of uh, trusting this chair to hold me up every time I sit down into it. That's a level of trust. Doesn't require right. a supernatural work of God for me to do that. I, you know, and very likely one day I could sit in it and it's going to fall backwards or something or break off one day because it, you know, it's it 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 it, it it's not always going to be trustworthy. It, it 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 can fail me. Um, and and so too, every time we get in an airplane, you're trusting a pilot. You don't know, you never know this guy. He could be drunk. He could be all kinds of problems going on. You don't know. You're getting onto a plane. You're trusting. And by the way, I just heard a sermon from John MacArthur from 1970s, where he uses getting into an airplane as an example of trust that we all have this ability. Anybody can do this. Okay, <laughs> that, that and it, which, which is ironic to me. But but that's exactly what we're saying here. You you can put your trust in the claims of the Bible. That's, mm-hmm. that's it, you can put your loyalty towards God and towards Jesus and, and have allegiance towards him. There's nothing super, fat, fish, I mean, like metaphysical power of this thing yeah, like, yeah, yeah. God has this little magical ball called faith and he uh, gives it to you, and you just, oh, I don't know, you make the choice as who you're going to put your yeah. trust in. Um, you do it with your spouse, you do it with children, with parents and vice versa. I mean, you put your trust and your loyalty and your allegiance with people all the time. And for some reason, they just think you can't do it with God. You can do it with anybody else in any yeah. other world, but you can't do that with God. You can't put your trust in the God of Scripture and in Jesus because you need some this this ontological change of nature for you to have this capacity all of a sudden. It's this magical or supernatural gift that's given to you. The Bible just doesn't talk about faith in that regard. Yeah. Um, the, the word pistis is actually used, I think, in Acts with the word proof as the word proof that these these this proof has been provided for you. I think the way Paul puts it. So that you may believe, and you know that Jesus is the Christ, that He is who He says He was. And so, the 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 word pistis or the word faith, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So He tells you the truth. He makes Himself known, so that you may put your allegiance, your trust in Him. You can choose to do that. Anyone can choose to do that. The fact that Calvinists have stepped in and said this is just an impossibility with people, unless you were picked before you were born, and you know, unilaterally, ontologically changed into a new human being. Um, it, it's just, this, these are not concepts taught in the Bible at all, not even remotely, as far as I can tell.
0: Romans 3.27, it says, then what becomes of our boasting? Boasting, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So the issue that John Piper's raising here is this issue of, hey, it, non-Calvinist, if you're saying that you believe, if you have faith, then what you're saying gives you grounds to boast. And then you have Paul over here saying, hey, look, if it is by faith, if you only bring faith to the, to the table, that is the law through which boasting is actually excluded. So the Calvinist says, faith gives reason to boast, and Paul says, faith eliminates any grounds to boast. Um, so I just, I, again, I think that this reflects to me when when Calvinists like John Piper speak about it in terms of this power, like you're talking about some kind of mystical thing that has to be decisively caused in order for it to be grace. I think, again, that just is not, not understanding what faith really is. And it's thinking of faith as being something that's basically on the same level as a fulfillment of the law, as fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law, which it is not. They are not the same thing. To have faith is not fulfilling God's law. Faith is in a, right. it seems almost in a sense like it, it's, you know, it, it's like a middle ground. It's not It's not righteousness in and of itself. And I think to, right. to ask this question, the question of why did you believe in your neighbor didn't? It, it is based upon, founded upon a misunderstanding of faith um, in the first place to even right. motivate asking that question.
1: Well, and I love what J- Dallas Dallas Willard uh, said. He said, "Grace is not opposed to effort; it's opposed to earning." Um, and I, I thought that was a really good way of putting it because it's not—it's not about you know, hey, stop trying, you know, stop pursuing. Um, It's—it's it's about realizing that you're not earning anything by your pursuit or your trying. Um, and so it's like what Paul says at the end of Romans nine, he said the Jews pursued through law and they did not attain righteousness, but the Gentiles pursued. So both of them are pursuing, they pursued right. through faith and they have attained it. And so the, the, the issue is not the pursuit. Both, both are pursuing one is pursuing by trusting in the righteousness of another the other is pursuing by trying to attain their own righteousness by good works mm-hmm. and that's the distinction between the two um and so paul's whole you know dichotomy that he's setting up between faith and works it's not about the effort or the pursuit itself it's it's about realizing that it's not through your own merit your own earning it's by trusting in the merit or the work of another so the illustration i've used before that kind of help people to see this visually. And I'm a visual learner. That's why I use a lot of illustrations. But imagining somebody, you know, trying to climb a rope to heaven and learning yeah, it's I, an eternally I love, high. I
0: stole this. I stole yeah. this analogy from me the other day in a video. So you'll be. Oh,
1: well, I'll, good. I'll well, then I may not that, even need to tell it. So people yeah, people say, it. well, yeah, you're no, trying no, to climb no, the oh, rope. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Somebody comes along and says it's the eternal high rope. You can't climb it. And so you your only hope is therefore to let go of the rope and let Jesus do the work. He can carry you the rest of the way. And 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 say, Oh, that's the gospel. It's a good news. You can't climb the ropes, the bad news. But the good news is if you let go and trust Christ, he'll carry you. He'll do the work for you. And then the Calvinist jumping in there and going, No, no, wait, wait. Letting go of the rope, ceasing doing work and trusting in the work of another, that is also a good work. You can't do that either. So you're yeah. you're equally incapable of climbing the rope as you are in letting go of the rope and trusting in Jesus to do it for you, because both of those would be considered good works. You're going, No, 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 that's that's not that's yeah. not what the message of the Bible is. It's not the gospel. The gospel, the good news is that anyone can let go of the rope, cease working and trying the effort to v- learning their own righteousness and and pursue it through faith, through trusting in the merit and the work of another. That that's uh, the true measure of uh, I think the gospel and what, you know, what Paul is laying out for us over and over yeah. again throughout the scriptures.
0: Within that analogy, we would fully concede that the bible says man cannot climb that rope man is incapable that right. that would be the deadness so you cannot do that left to yourself the it issue was. is that they then conflate we would agree the bible says you cannot climb the rope nobody can climb a rope from earth to to the moon or to heaven or whatever but they take that and then they and then we say okay so our what we must do what god asks us to do is to let go and they say well no 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 the bible says you can't climb the rope. So how could you possibly let go? That John Piper's quote here is in essence, making that argument. It's how could you possibly provide the decisive power power to let go of the rope? It takes a decisive power. You don't have the decisive
1: power to climb up the rope all the way. So therefore you must not have the decisive power to cease working because ceasing working would also be a divine power of some sort. Yeah, it's equivalent. There's an equivalent. Letting go
0: requires just as much power and, and righteousness as being able to climb the rope, and that—that that try,
1: think- try that, try 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 that with your credit card company. <laughs> Call up your credit card company and go. I cannot pay off my debt, and therefore that should credit me with my debt being paid. Because apparently, according to what my Calvinistic pastor told me, if I cease doing work and I give up and I tell people I can't do it by I your own choice, another, by my own choice, then that 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 is actually meriting my debt. So I've actually merited the payment of my debt by admitting that I can't pay my debt and trusting in someone else. Yeah. And so try that. With any other <laughs> debtor or any yeah. other, I mean, c- call in your workplace and say, you know what, I can't work today, but I'm going to trust in the work of Eric, my uh, coworker. Um, and so, because I'm trusting in his work, I'm, I want you to and I'm adding this decisive
0: power here. I'm adding the decisive right. power here of telling yeah. you I'm not going to work. So Eric's power, it's not Eric's power. Eric's power. Even though
1: I'm yeah. even though I'm putting the trust on Eric's power in his work, it's actually my power for telling you that I'm trusting in his power. That's the decisive right. power that's going to get me there. I'm just like. No, the power is in the one in whom you trust. Yeah. <laughs> this is it, it's yeah. you're you're putting your loyalty and your trust in a power. If you're putting your loyalty and trust in the Allah of um the Quran, he's not a real power. You, yeah. You're not going to get what you're not going to get the 72 Virgins. Sorry, guys, you're, you're going to wake up with a reality. You're not getting what you think you're going to get because you're trusting in something that's not true and it's not powerful. The power is in the one you trust in. There's no trusting in something is there's no inerrant power it's a filthy rag apart from christ because he's the one with the power the power is in the one whom in whom you trust not in the the trust itself or the loyalty or the i mean you you have a loyalty and allegiance to to a you know false moon god or a polka dotted people eater or whatever you know you have trust (laughs) and loyalty or i mean people trust and have just watch the news and you can see people have trust and loyalty to all kinds of crazy weird stuff The the reason it's not powerful is because all that, because it's all crazy, weird misplaced, non-existent. It's misplaced trust. It's misplaced loyalty. It's misplaced allegiance. And all of us can have allegiance and power. uh, the, The power, we have the power, the ability, God given ability to put our allegiance in whatever we choose to put our allegiance. The Bible says, this is where you put your allegiance. This is where you trust. And that's where the power is. And so he, he has all the power. Okay,
0: so I have another objection that I think would, would come, at least in my understanding, if I were to put on a, a Calvinist hat, and that would be that you're basically saying then that men dead in sin can just kind of left to themselves. So I think I think this, this is a, a key thing, again, that is such a misunderstanding. But so you're saying that people can just up and decide to believe in God on a whim, you know, just... just one day, a reprobate sinner who's just, you know, he's just in his dark, deep sexual addictions and alcoholism, whatever, the worst thing you can think of. And one day, he you know, old, old Bob is just going to decide, you know what? I think I'll believe in God today and, and and my life will just be changed because I I just decided to have this decisive power. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think there's this, again, this misunderstanding that in what we're saying that. Like we're just saying we can just be left to ourselves and just up and decide on a whim to just exert, exercise faith in God. And so can you explain what, what is the misunderstanding going on there about what I think you're actually saying?
1: Yeah. One, we haven't been left to ourselves. And so this supposition, if left to yourself, is a hypothetical that's not a reality because the incarnation proves that we're not left to ourselves. Christ came to us, he, that's incarnation. Um, he, he presented to us the truth. He presented to us the gospel. Um, the gospel came through the Holy Spirit-filled bride, uh, spread throughout all the world. Um, so in, on top of general revelation, we've got special revelation of God initiating, bringing truth, bringing light. Uh, if you're faithful with a little amount of light, God promises to bring more light, more revelation. He makes himself known. Um, and so, no one has any excuse for their unbelief because he there's enough revelation given to anybody and everybody to believe in the amount of revelation and light they've been given. And according to the scripture, they're held to account for the light and the revelation they've been given. And there's no reason to believe they can't trust in, put their allegiance in, trust in the amount of light and alert revelation that God has brought them. That's that's my position on that that whole topic. And so. Um, when, when you get back to this this issue of you, you're you making yourself alive or you're doing this yourself. No, God's the one who makes people alive, but who is he making alive? Those who, with a childlike faith, put their allegiance, their trust in him. And again, there, there's not a power, mystical power associated with that. You're, just, you're putting your allegiance in his power, in his authority, and he chooses graciously to to bring to life those right. who humble themselves and put their trust in Him. You're not meriting that or you're not earning that by you, trusting you could in bring, his, his work. You could
0: bring all the faith in the world, all the faith in God in the world and put it on the table before God. And He would still have every right to say, sorry, I don't, I don't forgive you. you that, that doesn't do away with your sin. It doesn't, it doesn't faith in itself doesn't cure your, your spiritual condition. It's just uh, the method by which God has chosen to dispense His blessing through. It's it's like the tunnel through which you get to the destination. It's not the destination it, itself or the power itself. And so I just think it's so often just misunderstood, um, and, and it, it leads it, it really it leads to all this, doesn't it?
1: Well, it's like um, it's like in the in the the physical world where Jesus oftentimes your faith has healed you. Uh, when right. somebody you know has a disease or sickness or whatever, your faith has healed you. Um, does is the faith what actually caused the person to be healed, or was it the power of God healing the person? Was well, the power of God healing the person? But who did He choose to heal? The one who those had who faith. <laughs> yeah, those who believe. And so the 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 all the power is of of God. He chooses graciously. Doesn't he's not like you said. He's not obligated to do it. Um, now he will always keep his promise. And so if he's promised to heal whoever believes, um, you know, whoever trusts in him. if He promises to do that. He's going to keep his promise. So we can, we can know that he will do what he says he's going to do, but he's not obligated to provide atonement in the first place. He, he, was, right. he, he, he will keep his, his obligations because he obligates himself by promising, right. but he's not, he's not obligated to make that promise. He, he wouldn't, no, nothing, the, the child coming home out of the pigsty is not obligating the father to accept him when he gets there. He's choosing graciously to do that. He doesn't have to kill the fatted calf, give him the golden ring, and restore him as a son. That's completely the choice of the father to do that. Um, but the, the fact that he waits for his son to return home is, is his prerogative. That, that's the way he wanted to do it. He, I guess supposedly in the, in, in the story, the, the father could have gone to wherever the son was and drug him out of the pigsty, you know, by his arm, and saying, "You coming with me?" You know, that could have happened, but it, that's obviously not the way that you know not the way it God wants it to work. He wants us to have a responsibility, a, an ability to respond to the revelation, the light, and the appeal of the gospel, calling us to repentance and faith.
0: And that that question, you know, why did you believe in your neighbor didn't? And and I've heard Piper say something to the extent of, you know, when you stand before God and He asks you, why did you believe? Which I just think is such a bizarre thing to think that God is going to ask like that's going to be the question God asks. Why did you believe again? Just why wouldn't you believe? So many it be, better question yeah, was why wouldn't you believe? Place. Yeah, there's another end to that question, <laughs> John, uh, but. But what you just said, you know, again, your faith has made you well. That, that That's, you see over and over. I looked this, I did a bit of a study on this the other day, just to see if it was accurate. And I, I just think it's worth asking the question to those who would present as a Calvinist, this sort of response to what we've said, you know, why did you believe and others didn't? And how how do you think you can provide the decisive power uh, and, and so on? Why is it that so often throughout the entirety of the New Testament, and, and I think probably the Old as well. It is perf- The Bible is perfectly comfortable with attributing faith to the person expressing it and giving ownership of faith, saying your faith has made you well. First, uh, John will say, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And so that's just over and over and over again. Now, Colossians faith- 212.
1: You you were raised you were raised through your faith. It actually your says. faith. Yeah, yeah, you were raised through your faith. So you're you're raised to new life through your faith, and so that right. just very very clear that it's it's attributed yeah. to you, and it also comes a, it comes before you being raised. So I mean, yes. that's a great passage to show that pre faith regeneration is not biblical.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so, what why is it that the Bible is comfortable with? S- giving the person ownership of faith as if it's something, it is some, something, not a power, but it is some sort of decisive thing within themselves that they could have chosen to do otherwise. And therefore the expression of faith that they are displaying is very much theirs. That faith belongs to them. Uh, Not that they, again, express that apart from God as if they made the first move. But what you're saying, Leighton is this idea that you know left to ourselves is is again just a misunderstanding. It it's almost assumes a deistic view, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it almost responders. assumes like
0: a deistic view of God. Yeah, we're we're yeah, yeah. We're, responding we're, we're responding to the fact to that God to, has we're already moved Responding to us. God's
1: appeal, and we're we're not left on our own. It, it, you know, He's yeah. coming to us with an appeal, and so we're responding to Him and His Word and His truth. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If you suppress the truth, it's your fault. It's not because of the lacking of the sufficiency of truth just like you you suppress God's grace or you deny God's grace, it's not a lacking of the sufficiency of the grace to save you. It, it's your fault. You're to blame for that. I mean, that's why we're, we're defending that you're worse. Mankind is worse than what the Calvinist says they are under our systematic. That's why we keep defending that. Um, and so, I mean, it just got to kind of keep pushing these things back and and just reminding people of of kind of the root of some of these theological problems and the whole question of why did you believe in your friend? It, I mean, that, that's kind of like that, Let me rephrase that in a way that really points out the inerrant determinism in the question because they're presupposing deterministic answer must be required because ultimately what they're saying is what determined for you to make this choice and your friend not to make this choice. So in other words, they're assuming you're determined by something outside yourself. Because they can't just say agent causation is true. The cause of the act is the actor. The cause of a determination is a determiner. Um, Just like why did God choose to create you? They don't don't look anything beyond God when they answer that question because he did. Because he's God. God can choose whatever he wants to. Because they're not assuming determinism onto God. Because they believe God is a self-determined agent. Well, in the same way, we believe that we are self-determined agents in the sense that God has created us. Not with his power and ability to make the choices he does because we don't have his power, but he has given us a limited scope of power and moral capacity within this finite world to make certain choices. And so to say what determined for you to make that moral choice assumes that something other than the agent themselves determined that choice. It's 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 a question begging fallacy because it, determ- it, it it's assuming a deterministic answer is required and they don't even realize they're doing it because they, they're they they're just looking for a cause. And so I can state reasons why I believed in Jesus, just like I could state reasons why I eat a piece of cake. Well, I eat pieces of cake because they taste so good. Does that mean the taste of cake determined my choice to, to, to eat? No, I determined to act on that desire. So it's not saying that we don't have good reasons for why we believe in Jesus. I just listened to a great sermon. As a matter of fact, I just tweeted about it. If you looked at my Twitter page at Sociology 101 from Vodi Bauckham, who, is a Calvinist, but he Mm -hmm. had a great apologetic uh, uh, sermon. Um, Why did I, why do I believe the Bible? And he gets just this great apologetic argument showing that uh, how the the source and the authority of it and just apologetic (laughs) argument after apologetic argument defending Mm -hmm. of why he believes the Bible is true. And I just reposted this going, this is awesome. I love this because he has really good stated reasons for why he believes the Bible is true. As a rational thinking, deliberating man, he's able to look at the evidence. He's able to look at the claims of the gospel. He's able to look at all these things and say, "This is reliable. This is true. I believe this. I put my. I, I am putting my trust in the claims of this for these reasons." And I think, "Wow, what an awesome, awesome sermon!" I wonder how consistent <laughs> it is with his Calvinism. However, yeah, because right. really he should say, "The reason I believe the Bible is true is because I was unilaterally picked before I was born and irresistibly graced." causing me to believe the Bible is true. That's what he should say as a consistent Calvinist. But instead, Calvinists oftentimes say things that aren't always perfectly consistent within their Calvinism. Instead, he makes the apologetic arguments for why we believe the reliability of Scripture and therefore should put our allegiance in the God of Scripture because of these reasons. Um, And so we can always state reasons as to why we put our faith in God. We can reasons out there. But To assume that something other than the determiner, Leighton Flowers, made that determination is to question beg by assuming that somebody other than Leighton Flowers made that determination. No, I made that determination for these reasons, but I'm the determiner, I'm the moral agent, I'm the one responsible because I made the choice, period.
0: Yeah. And I just think it's so important to keep in mind that my choice to believe, our choice to believe is not made independent from God's first movement toward us. We, We love, because he first loved us. God made a step toward mankind in Christ and said, "I, I love you and held out his hand in a sense and said, here I am. And so our faith isn't just on a whim deciding to make a movement toward God. Faith is a response to a movement that God has already made toward us. I exactly. think so it's so important to not forget that. But so uh, yes, one last thing with that, that I wanna ask you, and then I'll let you go, because I know you're. I'm already <laughs> holding you past time. But okay. um, uh, so I, wouldn't you say it, it's right that when a, somebody would ask that question of why did you believe and your neighbor didn't, couldn't you just pretty much immediately f- flip that and say, well, in your system, Why, why didn't the neighbor believe and I did? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like, why is it that the neighbor didn't believe like
1: in your system?
0: Can you answer that?
1: Yeah, their, their answer is very revealing. um, because they have to say, if they're consistent, the reason my neighbor didn't believe is because God did not choose them because God did not provide for them. So what are they rejecting? If God didn't provide anything for them, then what are they rejecting? They're rejecting a God who hates them. So just like you said, we love because he first loved us. Then the reverse of that in the Calvinist mind was the reason that the reprobate hates is because God first hated them. And right. as MacArthur already pointed out, you can't have Jesus as the perfect reflection of the law of God of loving his enemies, if that's true. And so that falls apart on itself. It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it's not, it's it's not a biblical or a tenable way of living life. The reason people are held accountable for rejecting a loving and merciful God is because they could have done otherwise and they should have done otherwise. And God expresses angst and frustration and um, anger towards those who don't do what he's calling them to do, which only makes sense if they have that moral capacity to respond to him. And it's a moral capacity that he's granted them. He's given them that capacity by bringing them light and revelation. As you've already mentioned, we're responders we're responding to him, which is why it's rational to call somebody responsible with the ability to respond to the light and revelation. He's been, uh, he's, he's, he brings so abundantly to us all.
0: And if you eliminate at the outstart, the presupposition that faith itself is some sort of power, that it's something on the same level as righteousness. If you just, if you realize that that is not the case, then really this whole issue, you know, dissipates in the air. The issue is gone. There is it's no really issue not. because why does it matter then if we do make the decisive choice to believe because belief itself isn't anything yeah. anyways. So it doesn't, doesn't
1: so that's, matter. That's why sometimes I think using different words than the theological baggaged words like faith or elect or these kinds of things is to kind of, to take it out of that theological normal way of think, you know, that presuppositions to use the word allegiance, for example, maybe the mm-hmm. word trust or something like that, because it doesn't have that all that theological the baggage packed on top of it. And, and so instead of saying elect, we'll say, You know, the one that was chosen Um, or instead of saying predestination, you might talk about how God has determined beforehand what will happen to those who believe, you know, that that would be another way of talking about predestination because that's what it's about. (laughs) And Paul's writing the two times Mm -hmm. he writes, it, he talks about how believers, those who love him and are called according to his purpose, have been determined beforehand to be conformed into the image of his son. And in Ephesians 1, it's about God predetermining beforehand those who will be holy and blameless, which is the same thing as being like Jesus. Holy and blameless is Jesus. Um, and so God has determined beforehand what will happen to those who are in Christ Jesus through faith. That's all right. predestination means. But if you think of predestination, you prepack that word with this concept and idea that God has picked people before they're born to become believers so as to be made like Jesus. And you just, shove that into the word. And every time you see the word, you think, oh, confirmation bias, Calvinism must be true because there's the word predestination or there's the word election. And you're just assuming your, your theology into those words instead of looking at it in, in its proper context.
0: Yes. I'm, I'm going to restrain myself because Ephesians one is, is I could, I could talk about that all day. I'd love to talk with you sometime more about this and run some of my, my, um, I don't know if it's necessarily a unique vantage point, but just, just this particular way I look at Ephesians 1. And really that's that became the key passage to me to say, I just don't think Calvinism can be true in light of really this concept of in him, in Christ, union with Christ, right. what that means, what that entails, when that happens. I just... I think Calvinism enters into Ephesians one with a very vague, unclear notion of what in Christ means and of how that is at all significant to these mentions of choice and predestination. It's as if it's sort of an afterthought that the the text is an approach with, let's figure out what does Paul mean by in Christ? What does that mean? When does that happen? Who does that happen for? And then let's take that, because it's streamed through the entire chapter, and then let's take that and try to understand what he might be meaning by referencing well, the, it. The,
1: the, way that's, the way that's evidence is you could remove the word in him from that verse, yeah. and it would not change the Calvinistic theology whatsoever. Because it's yeah. a, it's superfluous to, and, and you can't make, I mean, the fact that he mentions what in him or in Christ or some form of that, like what, 13 times in that one long yeah. sentence. I mean, right. obviously, it's a it's a Pauline, you know, doctrine that is very, very key to the point he's making. Um, and then for him to say you're sealed in him through faith, it's it's because you heard this when you heard this and when you believed you were sealed in him. Again, there's the term in Christ. You're not sealed in him until you hear the word, until you believe mm-hmm. Demonstrates that you're you're not you know unilaterally placed into Him before you're ever born right. or at, you know at some you know nebulous point that's undefined. No, it's you hear the gospel, you believe and you trust, and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're sealed in Him. Um, it's it really really that simple. And and sometimes you're right if if you just leave out certain concepts or ideas of Paul's teaching from other texts because he mentions the concept of him in Him and a lot of other Uh, text Mm -hmm. as well. You pull all those together and you look at them all in context. And it's really obvious in my estimation, what Paul's talking about.
0: Yeah. I would just say there's, there's a immeasurable, massive difference between Paul saying God chose us to be in Christ and God chose us in Christ, which is what it actually says.
1: Absolutely. Well,
0: well, Leighton, I so appreciate all your time. I would love to hopefully one day chat more about, about some of these things. I feel like I barely scratched the surface of, of all the, the notes I had of things I wanted to run by you. But uh, yeah, very right. much appreciate your time and everything you're doing.
1: My honor and uh, privilege, and I appreciate what you're doing as well. And keep, keep doing what you're doing. We need more voices out there uh, teaching uh, about God's love and provision for all people.
0: Thank you for listening to the great light studios podcast to find more information and resources or to watch our films. You can find links in the show notes of this episode to our Facebook, YouTube, and other social media accounts.